at a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions. We need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a mindful moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment. Right? Because it feels like you won, like you found the pot of gold if you are on the five-star side of the coin. I don't know. I just feel like I found a book that's for me and not for everyone. And it makes me feel like a special snowflake. (laughs) Sometimes it's good to be a special readerly snowflake. Hey, everyone. I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, Episode 48. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. My guest today is Maxwell Dunn from San Diego, California. Max hails from a fascinating corner of the bookish internet, BookTube. Never heard of it? Well, I hadn't either until recently, but luckily Max is here to fill us in on all the details. We cover substantial, engaging, challenging literary fiction, some experimental works, and some books that are just fun to talk about. Here's Max. Max, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for coming on. We have a mutual friend. And what I know about you is you're a really nice guy and a booktuber. Yeah, so BookTube is a small-ish community relatively um, on the YouTube community where people talk about books. So it's basically um, like a giant book club where people share what they're reading, they make recommendations, um, they do reviews of books they've been reading. It's really kind of whatever you make of it as a booktuber or as someone who watches BookTube. It's a big community of not just creators, but there's also a big audience as well. How did you first find it? I, you know, this is a question <laughs> that I get, I get asked frequently and I can't really remember. It was probably over, it was over three years ago and I had gotten back from uh, studying abroad. And I think I was looking for a book, like Googling a book that I was interested in reading and a video result popped up instead of like, you know, a normal search result. And I was like, oh, somebody's talking about this on YouTube. And I think I just kind of fell down the rabbit hole from there, but I can't for the life of me remember what book it was, but I do remember it was about June of 2013, and I started doing it in December of that year and have been doing it ever since. So did you know right away it was something you wanted to participate in as a creator instead of just a consumer? Not really. I had never done video before. I was much more into photography, um, and I watched BookTube for about six months before I was like, I think I'm just going to try it out, and I tried it out, and I haven't stopped since. So it was kind of like one of those things I feel like found me instead of the other way around. Um, But I definitely enjoyed watching it. Those six months of just watching it, I found so many books I had never heard of before. And I've always been like a big reader, but not really had a lot of people in my personal life that read as much as I did. Mm -hmm. So this was like the perfect mix of finding people like me who are all coming to this place because they want to talk about books and they also don't really have people to talk about books with in their real life. So yeah, it kind of just fell in my lap. 
Yeah, a lot of readers who listen to this podcast will really relate to that. So you said you've always been a big reader. What's your background with books? Um, I have always loved school and was in like the honors English programs, accelerated programs, and English was always my favorite subject. I had some really influential, passionate about teaching, and I think almost all teachers are like that because it's not a profession you go into unless you really want to be a mm-hmm. teacher. But something about them, um, you know, if you wanted to learn a lot and if you put a lot of work into it and they were willing to really push you. Um, I took, you know, AP literature and language courses where we were doing a ton of reading and writing and they helped me grow a whole lot. I just think that they, yeah, they were very passionate and I was someone who kind of latched onto that and I found it really interesting, the subject matter and just seeing somebody so passionate about literature um, that it kind of caught my eye and then that pushed me to want to be in literature um, when I was in college. And then there I had some amazing professors as well that helped me grow as a writer and um, yeah, were willing to have discussions outside of the classroom and really push me to think differently about literature, which I think has influenced how I read for fun today. What do you mean, think differently about literature? I think, uh, I think that I, I don't know, I, there's not really a wrong or right way to read a book, but I just am someone who maybe overthinks things. So <laughs> reading, reading literature, I'm very like analytical. And some people I know don't like to do that because they just want to read for fun. But to me, uh-huh. that is really fun. So it's just helped me grow in my skills of reading and, and analyzing literature and whatnot. Of course, there's always books that you just want to read because they're really enjoyable. And that's awesome, too. But when you do read something and you're trying to figure out why you like it a lot or what about it is special to you, like they've really helped shape kind of me in figuring out what it is that stands out or what doesn't work and what does work, which translates really well to helping me review books for booktube. Yes. Okay. Let's go back to that. So you've said you've read so much in your last four years. Mm -hmm. What does your reading life look like these days? What are your rhythms? I read a lot. (laughs) Um, I I'm lucky. I don't really have, you know, a lot of responsibilities outside of work and, Mm -hmm. you know, living life outside of that. I read a lot. Um, I also think that being part of the booktube community pushes me to read more than I might if I wasn't because there's always so many books people are talking about that I find interesting and want to get my hands on. Um, But I usually spend an hour or two every day at least reading, and I read a lot of different genres. I don't really feel like I have one genre, maybe just literary fiction, but as a whole, I'm not opposed to reading pretty much anything from any genre. So that allows for a lot of different books to talk about as well. Have you found that there are certain books that make better YouTube, not YouTube, booktube material than others? Or can you pretty much talk about anything that you had a satisfying reading experience with? I think if you either, even if you don't enjoy a book, I think if you have strong feelings about it, that always translates really well um, into a video because people can relate to that feeling of either really loving a book and sometimes not even having words to describe why, but also if you really dislike a book as well. Um, (laughs) But I think there's pretty much a community, in the community there's pretty much a creator making videos about any type of book that you can think of. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that young adult is a very, very popular genre in the booktube community, and it makes sense because YouTube as a whole appeals to a younger audience and Mm -hmm. they're reading young adult books, but there's definitely um, a growing and still pretty sizable audience for non-young adult books. I read a little bit of young adult, but it's definitely not my go-to genre. Mm -hmm. I don't have anything against it. It's just not where I'm at in my reading life right now. But there's pretty much a creator for everything. So I think that if you're somebody looking into BookTube, you you just have to do a little digging and you'll be able to find 
someone reading the types of books that you like. So I've only taken a look at your booktube. I haven't read anybody else's or watched, I suppose. If somebody wants to get started, do you just hit start searching YouTube or do you have tips for diving in? Yeah, if you go to YouTube and search a book that you're interested in learning more about, or maybe you just read it and you want to hear what someone thinks, if you search that with maybe the word review, mm -hmm. odds are, unless it's some very obscure title, but if it's maybe something that's come out in the last few years or is relatively well known, there's probably somebody that's uh, made a review about it. And then from there, you know, YouTube is great at suggesting more videos. So <laughs> you kind of can fall. Down. That's how I found it. I know yeah. that I kind of just fell down the rabbit hole of clicking suggested videos and, and you kind of get to know what YouTubers um, or booktubers read the types of books you're interested in. But I also follow a lot of booktubers that I don't read the same books as, as them because I think it's interesting to hear what they think about books I might not normally pick up. Um, so yeah, I think searching for a book you're interested in on YouTube will probably give you some sort of result for a video to watch. Now I'm dying to hear what you're reading right now, but that's not how this works. So we're <laughs> going to take a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about your books. Max, let me explain how this works. Every week a guest tells me three books they love, one book they hate, and what they've been reading lately, and then we'll talk about what you should read next. Can we start with your favorites? Yes. So I, I do listen to the podcast and I feel like every person says this, but <laughs> picking favorites is super hard. So instead of picking all time favorites, because I've mentioned those a lot on my booktube channel and I feel like I get a lot of recommendations based on my all time favorites, mm -hmm. I decided to go with three books that I read in 2016 so far that have stood out to me. Okay. But now uh, you're just being mean because we all <laughs> want to know your all time favorites. Do you want me to just throw some out? Yeah, really yeah, quick? yeah. I'll try really okay. hard not to comment too much. My two all-time favorites that are not part of the three I chose are The Shadow of the Wind by Carlos Ruiz Zafon mm -hmm. and Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close by Jonathan Safran Foer. Okay. Those are like my two all-time favorites. But I also love uh, Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man, Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro. Um, I'm looking at my shelf right now. Oh, The Bone Clocks by David Mitchell, Americana. I love Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. She's like probably one of my favorite authors of all time. I love that book. So, I love that book. All of those. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Those, yes. I <laughs> like it. Okay. Let's go back to your today favorites. Mm -hmm. All right. What's, what's the first book you love? So the one that I read this year that's definitely a contender for my favorite is Homegoing by Yaa Jesse. Mm -hmm. This is probably one that a lot of people have heard of. Um, it got a lot of pre-publication praise, and it definitely deserved it, in my opinion. It's just an expertly crafted debut novel, which is amazing. Yeah, have you read blowing. it? Yeah, I have, and I just couldn't believe that it it's was a debut. Yeah. Without spoiling anything, although you can't really spoil it because it's not much of a plot-driven book, but... Mm -hmm. It generally follows two girls who were born in Ghana, and they're, they're half-sisters, so they share the same mother, but their lives go in totally opposite directions. One is um, sold into slavery, and the other is married to an English officer, I believe. And basically, each chapter follows another one of their descendants through the history of like seeing where their lineage goes. And it is just—it isn't plot-driven, so— there might be some of the narratives that you're not as connected with, but I thought she was just able to, in such a short amount of time, like capture such an interesting view of these people's lives and put them against the backdrop of whatever historical moment they were in without it being too historical, like dependent on history. 
It was amazing. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to put on my English teacher hat <laughs> to use words. I'm going to try not to make intimidating. The structure of that mm -hmm. book, I thought, served the story so well. The way it unfolds one generation yeah. at a time. And it kind of leaves you, like some people found it frustrating. And I can see this, how like you mm -hmm. were left hanging just at the point you got invested in the person's story that you've been with for 30 pages. But that's not what she was trying to do. Just showing the domino effect of history and people's choices and the devastating effects of what happened in Ghana 200 years ago, like mm -hmm. ripple through the ages. I thought it was really powerful and well it done. Was. And I could not believe how old she was and that it was a debut. <laughs> For, yeah. for every writer reading it, feeling awful about their own work, it did take her a really long time, but st but still. Really yeah, that was one of the books when I finished it. I was I was intent on learning more about her because it was just so impressive. And I feel like 2016 has been a big debut year. There's been yeah. a huge amount of like debut novels, um, and so I watched probably three or four different interviews of her at bookstores or whatnot talking about it uh -huh. because it, she's and she's such an eloquent speaker and so like yeah she's I think she's in her mid-20s or something and she just has so much expertise already and she's just talks about her work in such an interesting way I was very impressed by it I think I heard an NPR interview but I haven't seen any of those bookstore interviews and I really like the bookstore interviews so I'm glad mm -hmm. you mentioned that yeah, there's one from Politics and Prose I think which is mm -hmm. in DC I think mm -hmm. um, and that one is a good conversation. It's not just an interview. It's a really great conversation as well. So I would definitely recommend that. Yeah. Because if you are listening and you've never seen one of these like bookstore kind of interviews, what you often get is instead of like the NPR style, tell me about the work kind of questions, you get the funny personal stories about the author themselves and they relate to the work and they shed light on the work, but it's not quite so much English class. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting to just hear some about her development because she talks about the way it's structured like you mentioned and the inspiration for that and the time the family tree that she has in there and how that really informed how she structured the novel i thought that was really fascinating okay. interesting we'll put that in show notes okay max what's book two book two is so you've been publicly shamed by john ronson yes have you read that one yes i recommended this on the podcast back in episode episode early <laughs> maybe maybe one of the tween episodes. It might even have been less than 10. I recommended this to Jansen as a truly terrifying nonfiction book. Okay, so tell us more about yeah. it and how it ended up on your list. So I listened to it on audiobook, which it's narrated by the author, which I always love. And he has just such a great voice. I heard him on, I think, a segment of This American Life. And then somebody actually, I think the same week, so kind of serendipitously recommended the book to me. And so I got it on audiobook and listen to it. And it is basically, yeah, it's kind of every internet creator's nightmare, but also <laughs> it's really illuminating. <laughs> um, it's about how, cause it's not just about the internet, but a large part of it is about how people who are either famous or not famous at all get famous for a flub they make or something they, you know, say or do that gets blown out of proportion sometimes. I mean, I guess that's questionable about whether it's justified or not, but the public's reaction to it and how they're basically shamed and their name is sort of ruined on the internet. Um, yeah. One like example that the subtitle in half the chapters could be how to ruin your life in 22 yeah, seconds. It's really, it's sad because I think he does a great job of putting like empathy in it and saying, you know, yes, this person made a mistake, but also like think about where they're coming from as a human being who made a mistake that just happened to blow up on the internet. One example that is 
that really resonated with me was the one of Justine Seiko, who tweeted a terrible thing right before a flight. It was really awful, and obviously I don't condone what she said, but I remember that night that it happened because I was home on, I think it was a winter break, I was home and I saw it trending on Twitter and I was following along. And I wasn't like gleefully following along, like I can't wait till she gets her justice, but I, I remember it so clearly. So when it came up in the book, I was like, oh my gosh, I totally remember this incident and how like, even though I didn't have a personal connection with her experience and never happened to me or anything, I just could remember sort of seeing the mom mentality around that. And it really kind of put me at her level. And he interviews the people it happens to. So you really get to see things from their perspective. And it's, it's really sad, but very interesting. I think the social psychology of it is really interesting. Yes. Fa yes. Fascinating. But also like my heart is beating faster. Just thinking mm -hmm. about, oh, so scary. So I can totally see how that book would really stick with you and make you think hard. Is that what ended it up on your favorites list? Or was there something else about it? I read it at the beginning of this year, and it's just always something I feel like I find myself returning to or mm -hmm. recommending to people, especially people who make videos for YouTube, because I feel like I'm oh, even more conscious yes. of what I say on the internet now, and not because I feel like I'm a person who will shoot off any sort of statement and not think about it. I'm pretty conscious of what I say, but also you, sometimes you say something without the intent. It's not about your intention after it's out there sometimes. It's about how people perceive it. So. Yeah, it definitely stuck with me, but it's also just a very short and well put together book that I feel like, I think when I wrote a review on Goodreads of it, I said everyone should read this regardless of if they're partaking in the internet or not, because it just, it teaches you to empathize with the other party for at least one minute to try to see things from their perspective. And I feel like that's something that everyone should, like a skill that everyone should have, and or at least something they should do once in a while to really remember that everyone behind the pixels is like flesh and blood. So his point, so you've been publicly shamed, is that a long time ago, shaming used to be a punishment for people who committed like crimes against society. They put you in the town square and ridicule you. And he says, we didn't stop because it wasn't effective. We stopped because it was cruel. But now in the internet, like we all are in the position of being able to do that to anyone. It is a serious topic, but he presents it in not a fun way, because it's not a fun book, but it was nope. very engaging. It was engaging. I would totally read this in the dentist waiting room. And I might like say, can I just finish this paragraph when they <laughs> called my name? Like that's the kind of readability we're talking about. Definitely. Okay. What's book three? Um, book three. Oh, am, am I cheating if I say a series of books? Because my next pick is the Neapolitan novels by Elena Ferrante. We will grant your request. <laughs> or I could choose one of them, but it's pretty arbitrary since I kind of <laughs> see them all as one big story. Um, but I'm sure everyone's heard of them before this. No, no, no. The, the quartet gives us enough about your tastes, although I would be very curious <laughs> to hear you single them out. So please tell those of us who have been living under a rock or, you know, maybe who just aren't tuned in to publishing news. That's fair mm -hmm. about these novels. So these novels are by Elena Ferrante, who is anonymous, maybe. We're not really sure anymore <laughs> after the last few weeks, yeah. but but I still tend to think of her as anonymous. Um, she's an Italian author. They're translated by Anne Goldstein, who I have to give a shout out to because she does an amazing job translating these novels. And I feel like translators can get overlooked. But she is an Italian that we know very little about, allegedly raised in Naples, Italy. And these books are set in Naples and it follows two girls. The book starts with them uh, after the prologue. It starts with them I think at four or five years old in their little apartment complex in Italy. And it 
follows them through, I want to say, into their 60s by the end of the last book. And I don't really want to say much more about it because I think part of the joy of these books is discovering it for yourself. But essentially, it's set in the 1950s, the late night the later half of the 1900s, and it's just amazingly written. It sort of has this stream of consciousness style a little bit, um, and she's really great at kind of taking little moments in life and making them feel very big and important, sort of mythic quality to it. Yes. She's wonderful at showing you how her characters' lives change based on something that was epic to them, but mm -hmm. not actually, objectively, like a headline news kind of thing. Yeah, the end of the first book, I won't spoil anything, but the ending, if you look at it sort of from an objective view, is very not it's not a very serious thing, but to them it and to the reader, it's so mind-blowing. It's just such a big deal. I don't I am just gonna leave it there because you have to read it and discover for yourself. And she is so good with her endings. Like the ending of each book, I think I've literally <laughs> I sound like such a cheese ball. But at the end of each book I've gone, <gasps> Yep. But yeah, I think that's a she deserved a it. Popular experience. Yeah. Okay, I have a question for you. Yes. A few episodes back, I talked to Annie Jones and I recommended my brilliant friend to her. And she said, Oh, I'm a bookseller. I should have read these by now, but I haven't. And the reason is people keep telling me to give it 150 pages before putting it down. And I told her, what? That's way too long. Like it took me a little bit to get into it, but not 150 pages. So I'm curious on your reaction to the 150 pages advice for the first one. My experience with the book was the first half was a bit slower. I still liked it, but I didn't feel myself, you know, turning the pages, flipping through really fast. I was just reading it leisurely. But the second half of the first book, I think I read in a day or two. It just flew by. So for me, I think that's true, but I know people who have loved it. <sighs> that's not what I wanted to hear, but I think it's <laughs> what the readers needed to hear. So, but I would say stick with it because these books are like the best books I've read in the last like four years, probably. So yeah, I recommend them enough. And I can totally see how they slot onto your favorites. Like they have heft and substance and sweeping stories and they go really deep in the emotional experience. Yes, and the writing is beautiful. Um, the fact that it's translated, I think sometimes you can tell it's translated, not in these books, but translated literature. Sometimes it's some of the wording is strange, but these ones just read so fluidly. And if you read it, you'll... I'm, have you read them all? No, I am almost to the end of book three. Okay. What's so in store even, for me? Are you excited oh, for me goodness. finishing? Or am I well, past my, the best? My favorite is the second one. Not that the others aren't great, but the second one was my favorite. And there's some passages in there, I think kind of throughout the series, but what I was getting at is that there are some passages that are very long and run-ons. And the fact that Goldstein could translate that is just really impressive to me because I feel like you can't just translate word for word. She has to like capture that feeling and emotions. And these books are all about emotion. You get so into the characters' heads that it's just pretty impressive. Yes. Sometimes when I'm talking about a book in translation, my reviews say things like the dialogue was clunky and I wasn't sure if it was the author or the translator, but I never, well, so far, you know, two and three quarters books, I've never felt the need to like apologize for the text. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Okay. So pivoting hard. What's a book you're not so crazy about, Max? So this one I didn't read this year because thankfully I really haven't read anything I would say I hated or really didn't like this year. Yeah. But one that, and I want to caveat it because I really love this author. And I think I even threw out a title of one of his books earlier in this 
conversation, but I really didn't like Cloud Atlas by David Mitchell. And actually, now that I'm thinking about it, the reasoning is kind of ironic because I really loved Homegoing, and it's that the structure of Cloud Atlas just really messed with me. I couldn't stay engaged because halfway through every story, you get cut off and move into the next story. And you don't get that resolution until the very end, if people haven't read it. It's basically structured like um, those nesting dolls where you get sort of the outs the outside stories, the beginning and the end of the novel are the first and second half of a story and it moves inward and then the very middle story is its own self-contained story. I think if I had known, or if I hadn't known we were gonna get the resolution in the end, then I would have been okay with it because I don't mind short stories where they kind of just end mm -hmm. and you move on. But knowing I was gonna get the resolution but I'd have to wait 500 pages to get the first story's mm -hmm. re like resolution, it was just, I don't know. I, I love David Mitchell so much. The Bone Clocks is one of my favorite books, um, but this one just didn't work for me. Okay. Well, that's good. To, you know, it's good to know as a reader what you like and what you don't, but you already know that. I don't need to like <laughs> explain that to you. Okay. The question I've been dying to know, what are you reading right now? So right now I'm reading the best American short stories of 2016. Is that a which, habit for you? Is this like an no, annual thing? No, not at all. In fact, I, it's more of a recent, not habit or anything but discovery I was sent it by the publisher and it's um this year was edited by Juno Diaz who I love uh -huh. and I I was just talking about this in a video I'm probably putting up this week that um I really love short stories but I do not read them enough and I'll go through phases where I'll read like two or three collections and then I'll go months at a time where I don't read any so I really want to get in the habit of reading a short story like every day if possible or more often just because I think they're so interesting and it's such a different craft than a novel. Mm -hmm. um, so when the publisher sent this one to me, I was very excited. And there's some great, great titles um, in here. It has a story by Chimamanda Adichie, who I love, as mm -hmm. I said earlier. Um, it has a Lauren Groff story. It has a very wide range of authors. Karen Russell, who is awesome mm -hmm. as well. Um, and some other ones that I had never heard of, a lot that I hadn't heard of. So that's also always fun because I've been adding... Now I've been looking up those authors and adding collections to my to-read list, which is ever-growing. <laughs> Professional hazard. And then I also started last night reading a novel that was sent to me by another publisher. I kind of picked it up on a whim. It's called Dead Souls by J. Lincoln Fenn. Yeah. Have you heard of it? I've heard of it, but I yeah. haven't seen it myself. Yeah, it was sent to me unsolicited, and sometimes, I would say 80% of the time, I don't end up reading those books because mm -hmm. they're not ones I requested or mm -hmm. interested in, but this one really sounded different than something I normally read. It's about a woman who's in a bar, and he, a man approaches her and claims to be the devil, and she makes a kind of um, spur-of-the-moment agreement to sell her soul to him, and then she actually ends up selling her soul to him for this desire that she has and then she becomes part of a group of dead souls people that have sold their soul to the devil for him to grant them a wish and I started reading it last night because I was trying to rearrange my bookshelves to get things to fit and this one wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> that's actually what happened I picked it up and thought oh well now I don't know where to put it so I just started reading the first page and it has one of those kind of catchy first pages and so I started reading it and ended up reading about 100 pages in one sitting because it's it's very readable um but super well written. So I'm, it's definitely outside of my normal, not normal comfort zone, but what I would, it's a little bit darker and more gritty than I normally read as far as like thriller. So I was interested and now I will keep reading it. Okay. All I can picture is Ursula in the Little Mermaid. I'm not going to sing for you, but the, oh, uh, the poor unfortunate souls that oh, have yes. made a bargain. Yeah. 
Okay. It's been a while. Like the Little Mermaid, but for grown-ups. <laughs> I'm sure that's what the flap says. It's kind of like Jessica Jones in the, not the, the selling your soul sense, but if you've seen the show Jessica Jones, uh -uh. The, the narrator has that sort of snark and it's got a kind of gritty setting. So the, the person I keep picturing when I read about the narrator is uh, Kristen Ritter, who plays Jessica Jones. It's a Marvel Netflix series. That's fun. So I like have the distinct mm -hmm. voice and to feel like you know who's talking Definitely. to you, even if you're totally making it up. I still enjoy that doesn't that always experience. happen. I don't feel like I cast things in my head when I read books usually, but this one for some reason, kind of from the start, I was. It was. It has that same sort of dark but funny atmosphere to yeah. it. So yeah, fun. Okay, Max, is there anything you want more of in your reading life? I think I, I as of right now, I definitely want to read more short stories. I don't really have a lot on my shelves, um, but. I used to read the short stories from The New Yorker when I received it, but I don't have that subscription anymore. So, yeah, short stories, and I love translated works. I tried really hard in 2016 to read more translated fiction, which is how I found Ferrante, so definitely thankful for that. So short stories and translated. I don't know if you have recommendations for translated short stories, but all of those things. I'll see what I can do. I have ideas for you, and we will get to them right after the break. Max, I really love the variety of your picks, and yet there seems to be a solid pattern. Like, I think what you're looking for in your books is really interesting, substantial, enduring literary fiction. And you make exceptions, but I don't really want to, you know, like, dance around the edges. Like, that is the middle I'm aiming for. And also, you seem to be interested, like, from an early age in reading well. And I, it seems you have a pattern of really challenging yourself with reading non-conventional works, experimental works, and sometimes they pay off and sometimes they don't, but it seems like you're willing to go there. What do you think? Definitely. I love to stretch myself um, and I love to, s I'll, I'll give anything a chance at least once. Um, sometimes, like you said, it pays off and other times it definitely doesn't. But I also think that you have to read the duds in order to really appreciate the ones that you love, so. Sad but true. And what <laughs> I found is sometimes a dud is a dud and it's annoying and you move on. But mm -hmm. sometimes even reading a book that doesn't resonate with me, if I can spend the time instead of just pretending it never happened, but try to really think about why, like why it didn't connect with me or what I did or didn't like about it, because so many times that's a matter of personal taste and the better you know your own personal taste, not that we shouldn't stretch ourselves, but the better you know your personal taste, the more likely you are to select books that actually fulfill that, I don't know, what's the word when you're talking about books? Ooh. That deep yearning to yeah. find a wonderful book that feels like it was made for you. Definitely. Is and that, I think is that bold enough. Yeah. And I think that even if I don't like a book, unless I absolutely hate it, which rarely happens, even with Cloud Atlas, I didn't hate it to the extent that I wouldn't recommend it to people. But usually when I don't like a book, I try to think about why. And when I review, if I review it, I'll say, you know, I didn't like it because of this. But if you like this type of thing, you might really enjoy reading this book. Um, because I, I know that it, most of the time it's personal preference. And I rarely read books where they're quote unquote, objectively bad books it's just I didn't resonate mm -hmm. it didn't resonate with me but it might really resonate with someone who enjoys this type of story or this type of writing okay it also seems to me that you care a lot about reading not only widely in genres because you said you try about anything but also in authors in their race and gender and geography and all that stuff is that accurate or is that coincidence yeah, definitely okay. 
Okay, so we're going to try to, you know, there's only three books here. So you can <laughs> only get so much of a representative sample, but I definitely have that in mind for you. Great. The first book I have in mind for you is Before We Visit the Goddess by Chitra Banerjee Devakaruni. Do you know anything about this? Have you read anything by her before? I've never, I've never even heard of it, so <gasps> <Yay>. I'm excited. <laughs> okay, well, this is her latest work. It came out in, I think, April of this year. Before this, she was probably best known for The Mistress of Spices, which I was really excited to see. I know you're not a thriller fan, but I love Tana French, and Tana French cited that mm. in her Trespasser interviews as a big influence, and I was like, yay, Chitra. Okay, so here's what I like about this for you. So Chitra lives in Houston. Her family is Indian. She has written a whole lot of books. Like Before We Visit the Goddess is something like number 17 or 19 or 22, and she says that it's important for her. She teaches literature at um, in Houston. I don't remember what school, but she says that to keep growing as an author, it's really important for her to set herself a new challenge in every book. So the challenge she set herself with this book was to tell a novel in a series of short stories. So this is not in translation. It was written originally in English in Houston, Texas, but it's a series of short stories that fits together to tell a more comprehensive story. So all of these could stand on their own, but you do have Shoot, I was going to try to tell you how many short stories. 12, 15, 20? There, I have like a 40% error margin. <laughs> Set the bar low. So the novel tracks three generations of Indian women and their fraught relationships. More between the generations, unlike the Neapolitan novels, kind of do the same thing, but that's with the two girls who are the same age. And while they mm -hmm. have fraught relationships with their children and parents... Those are the side stories in this book. And then Before We Visit the Goddess, it's reversed. I really love the title story, which was kind of misleading to me. I pictured something else just based on the title. But the title comes from a chance encounter one of these Indian women has with a stranger. And that is just so fitting because my favorite parts of this novel deal with the um, like this personal connections that are unlikely between two people, especially personal friendships, but can really change the course of a person's life. Really well-written, really engaging. Personally, this, this came to me in the mail, and I didn't know anything about it, and I just wanted to say, you know, at least I tried, and I sat down with it at the kitchen counter, and I don't think I got up for two hours, <laughs> and it just sucked me right in. How does that sound to you? It sounds great, and I love that she's written a lot, so if I do love it, there's a lot of backlist to go read from her. And it sounds like you were mentioning she kind of writes something different with each book, which David Mitchell kind of does as well. So I always find that interesting. Yes. And I, well, I don't know. I don't know if it matters to the reader or not, but I appreciate the fact that she is continuing to grow as a writer and cares explicitly about doing things that are hard to make her work better. And sometimes as a reader, those experiments, you can see those experiments don't pan out, but I thought this one paid off. I really liked it. Book two, I need to give you two authors because there's a translator, is Blindness by Jose Saramago. Have you read it? No. Okay. The translator here is Giovanni Pontiero. He is a Nobel Prize winner. This book came out in 1995, so it's been a while now, but it has staying power. I mean, he's a Nobel winner. He knows how to write a book that's going to endure beyond like the next sales cycle. So I like this one for you because it's substantial, it's bold, it's in translation, it's from South America, and 
it is really, it has a really interesting form. And you can go two ways with this. Like Goodreads is full of like one star reviews and five star reviews. Oh yeah, so, my favorite. Right? Because <laughs> yeah. it feels like you won, like you found the pot of gold if you are on the five star side of the coin. I don't know. I just feel like I found a book that's for me and not for everyone. And it makes me feel like a special snowflake. <laughs> sometimes it's good to be a special readerly snowflake. Okay. So at the beginning of the book, there's a car wreck and the pedestrians notice and everything stops and the cars move to the side and the driver gets out of the car and he's really shaken. And he says, I'm blind. And you're thinking, why can't the guy see it? But he says he's blind. Everything is white. And some passerby says, if you're blind, it's supposed to be black. He's like, I don't know what's going on, but everything is white. Like I need help. So it turns out this is patient zero on an epidemic of what they call white blindness that goes throughout the whole city. It spares no one. All the blind are confined to, and this sounds super creepy, an empty mental hospital. And then very quickly, everything degenerates and the writing degenerates along with it. Saramago is really trying to have, to make you feel what's happening in the way he tells the story. So it's experimental, it's unusual, and I think you're game for that kind of stuff. How does it sound to you? It sounds really interesting. It sort of sounds like, with the plague aspect, like Station Eleven, which I really liked, there was another book that it was reminding me of, but I'm blanking on it now. Oh, uh, I wanted it to know. It sounds really good, oh no. That's okay. It'll come to you when you're eating yes. dinner tonight. <laughs> Book three. I'm not really sure what direction to go. How about nonfiction? Or do you want novels? I'm open to nonfiction. I just don't really read a lot of it. With So you've been publicly shamed. I feel like that's sort of an outlier. But it was so interesting that if you had like recommendations similar to that, I'd be interested. I'm more into the narrative of nonfiction than like the um, self-improvement side. Actually... We should have talked about that, Max. Something I noticed in your favorites. Okay, so you picked Homegoing. Actually, come to think of it, I should have told you, it's structured a lot like Before We Visit the Goddess. It's oh, a true. novel in stories of generations. In Goddess, the generations are more compact. You don't get a 200-year span. You get more like a 40-year span. Maybe, maybe as many as 60. And then you had the Ferrante novels. Big themes in all of those, and I'm including the Ronson, are how your life can turn on a moment, how one decision you make or one chance encounter can set your life on a course that was different from the moment before. And you have themes of like free will and chance and destiny. Like I can totally see that fitting in. So Definitely. maybe I'm pushing it too far, but, <laughs> but I'm, looking, I'm looking for all those things, even in a nonfiction pick. Okay, I'm thinking about an Alice Siebold memoir that a lot of people don't know about called Lucky. Are you familiar with this? No, I feel like her name sounds familiar, but I don't know. It's because she wrote The Lovely Bones. Oh, yes. Okay. So, and whether or not you've read The Lovely Bones, I have. it doesn't it was, okay. It's been a while, but I have read that. How did you like the writing style? You know, it's been, that was one I read way back in the day uh -huh. when right before the movie came out so however long ago that was wait there's um, a movie i didn't know there was a movie of the lovely bones uh-huh yeah it has a uh, saoirse ronan in it okay. who i absolutely love but um yeah i i don't really remember i remember it's told from the girl's perspective but i don't really remember the writing style per se 
we're going to assume that it served the story mm-hmm. from your point of view. And the same happens in Lucky. So this came out in, I don't know, 15 years ago about. This is a memoir that the most common reaction is something like, this gutted me. I'm so glad I read it. This, and we have a lot of people who listen to the show with their kids. So I'm going to talk delicately here, but if you are listening and you want to play it safe, you might want to turn it down for a minute. This is a memoir about how Alice Siebold's life changed in an evening when she was 18 years old. She was at Syracuse University. She was a student and she was attacked in a park near campus. Mm. And that's all I'm going to say about the crime, um, but really devastating, really personal crime. And the title comes from a comment that it was either a police officer or a campus officer made to her. He said, oh, the last woman that happened to in the place where you were harmed was killed. You're lucky. Oh, wow. So in this story, she unpacks what kind of effects, like the before and after effects of going through that kind of trauma. And her big lesson is lesson lesson sounds really like preachy but she says that what she really learned is you have to save yourself when something like that happens to you you can't be saved it's one of the books you read to become a better human and of course some people who have been the victims of violence will read this on an entirely different level than people who just want to understand how to relate to humanity because it's that it's that kind of book so the general reaction is like, oh, but wow. How does that sound to you? Yeah, it definitely sounds like it would be difficult to read, but I don't want to say rewarding because it's, you know, it's a very sensitive subject, but something that you can take a, a lot away from and definitely something that maybe I can't relate to on a personal level, but I feel like it just sounds, I don't know how to talk about this book. Right, <laughs> right, right. No, it's that's okay. About, um, it is. Your- it is your, hard. Exact, your question again was, how does that sound? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it would be a tough to read, but definitely something that's worth reading because it's her story. And it's always, I feel like it's always important to listen to people's stories if they're willing to share them. Okay. I, I think. I don't know. <laughs> it's a hard subject matter to talk about. Oh my gosh. I, I'm assuming yeah. I know what you're talking about, like when you talk about being attacked. So especially having read, um, the lovely bones and knowing the contents of that. Uh, yes. And it's interesting to see the common theme. Yes. It sheds a lot of light on the lovely bones. So obviously there are major triggers here if you're thinking about reading it, but, um, you said that like John Ronson was one of those, like how to be a human kind of books. Mm -hmm. This could be filed in that category as well. Yeah, definitely. Even if it's not something, you know, you can necessarily relate to on a personal level sharing in that person's you know story is something i feel like hearing people's stories and allowing yourself to see through their eyes for just a moment can really be a good way like you said to to be a better human so it definitely sounds like it'd be hard to read but worthwhile yes okay now i feel like i should tell you a duck joke or something so we don't end on like a total (laughs) down note yeah i got nothing (laughs) of those three heavy hard choices Wait, let me think back. What was the first book? Okay, so before we visit the goddess, wasn't totally like, let me devastate you on a Tuesday morning. Um, of those three books, what do you think you'll read next? 
I think I'm going to look up uh, before we visit the goddess. Okay, bonus question. When you read something really heavy, do you tend to alternate it with something lighter? Or do you just have a stack that you work your way through? Um, I'm kind of a mood reader, so... It's, I'm not really, I don't have to balance out what I'm reading. It just depends on how I feel. I know after I read A Little Life last year, I definitely uh-huh. stayed away from like really dark and depressing books mm-hmm. um, for a while, but, uh, but I don't feel like I could probably read all three of these back to back and I'd be okay. Hopefully. Okay. Okay. Hopefully. I really but hope I think so. The first, <laughs> the first recommendation doesn't sound as harrowing as maybe the other two. I don't think it is. And of course, it's hard to tell. Like sometimes something in a book you'll relate to on such a personal level that it can be meaningful for you in a very individual way. But I mean, sometimes you just know what's coming with something like Lucky or A Little Life. Like you just know that's going to be hard. Mm -hmm. You have to get into that frame of mind. I read um, All at Sea by Decca Aikenhead recently. Oh, I'm afraid to read that, but I keep hearing good things. Yeah, it sounds, it is one of those books I feel like, or, or, um, Oh, what's it called? When Breath Becomes Air by Paul. I have Kalanithi. read that. Mm-hmm. It's one of those books where you, you kind of feel weird recommending it to people because you're like, you're going to cry, but also you're going to love it because it's just an important, it's an important book to read. I feel like yeah. you have to separate your, you know, your gut reaction from like knowing how it's going to be a, a good experience in and of itself. So I think even though Lucky sounds like it'd be tough to read, I'm still interested in, in picking it up. Okay. All right. Well, I am looking forward to hearing what you think. Thanks for talking books with me today. Thank you. Hey, readers. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Max today. Have you heard of BookTube? I would love to hear your favorite BookTubers I should be watching. Please head to the podcast site to let me know what you thought of my recommendations and to share your recommendations for what Max should read next. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 48. And it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Remember to check back next week for five new and exciting episodes just in time for your Thanksgiving road trips. It's going to be a lot of fun no matter your age, and we can't wait to share these with you. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. Find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Ryan and Maria Rilke said, Ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.